Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode nine of the Political Tipster. So, uh, last episode was was a rare defeat for us. Uh, we we had predicted uh, Javier Bertrand or Michel Barnier to uh, win the French right wing primary, but uh, they were both eliminated in the first round. And what was quite a surprise, uh, the eventual winner of the the candidacy was uh, Valérie Pécresse who uh, labelled herself two-thirds Angela Merkel and one-third Margaret Thatcher. And uh, it seems she's, she's had a big bounce in the polls, uh, leaping from around 10% to 20%. And uh, a second poll suggesting she could beat Emmanuel Macron in the second round. So uh, certainly something to, to keep our eye on, uh, possibly France's first female president. But uh, today I, I want to return to uh, our beautiful septed isle uh, as we have uh, a by-election coming up and it's in North Shropshire. Uh, so uh, this by-election is happening because Tory MP Owen Patterson, who was the MP since 1997, uh, he was uh, found guilty by the Parliamentary Commissioner for Standards for having breached paid advocacy rules uh, in relation to two companies which employed him as a paid consultant. I believe one of those was Randox, who uh, I've just had to purchase quite a lot of PCR tests for my return for Christmas to England. So um, it was recommended that Patterson was suspended for 30 days uh, which triggered a vote for MPs to improve, to sorry, to approve uh, punishment, and uh, to and which would then lead to a recall petition and possibly a, a by-election already. And uh, quite controversially, uh, backbench Andrea Leadsom uh, brought forward an amendment to try and postpone partisan suspension and set up a new disciplinary committee to to deal with. Uh, uh, MPs discipline and and actually uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson supported uh, this amendment with a free line whip. Uh, there was a lot of parliamentary and public backlash and eventually the, uh, the Prime Minister performed his umpteenth U-turn and uh, he, he said the, the vote would happen uh, before it did. Patterson resigned and uh, yeah, that is why we have a by-election. And uh, to talk to me today, I've got a very special guest for all those loyal uh, listeners. You, you may remember him from the first episode, a uh, Welsh Labour member, and uh, one of the only people who I know who's uh, an ardent Keir Starmer supporter. So uh, welcome to the show, uh, Mr. Griff Parry. Thanks, Julian. It's um, nice to be back. I look forward to getting some nice discussion with you. Great, great. So before we do that, I'm just going to crunch over some information. So a little bit of information about the constituency. It's the third largest in the West Midlands region. It's been a Tory seat since 1830, would you believe it? So pretty much since its creation and when it used to vote two MPs at the time. Uh, the closest anyone has come to taking the seat was in 1997. Uh, when New Labour stormed the elections, and I believe they missed out by maybe uh, one and a half thousand. So that's that's the closest, pretty safe Tory seat. And in the uh, Brexit referendum, it voted 60% leave. In the previous result in 2019, the Tories won around 35 and a half thousand. So 62.7% of the vote, which was up 2.2%. Labour 12,500 votes, 22.1%, which was down 9%. And then finally, the Lib Dems won 5,600, 10% of the vote, which was up 4.7%. But from all the polls and information we've been seeing, uh, actually, it's the Lib Dems who are the main contenders to the Conservatives this time round, which uh, begs the question again, what is going on with Labour? So who is running in this election? So there was talk about Lib Dems, Labour 
and the Greens uh, running a joint anti-sleaze candidate um, because of certain stories and uh, especially Owen Patterson. Um, but in the end, uh, it didn't happen. Um, as uh, David Brent would say, it didn't happen in the end. It was rubbish. Uh, so who is running? So we have your usual bread and butter parties, uh, Tories, Labour, Lib Dems, Greens, and uh, Reform UK are probably the biggest, smaller party, we'll say. But other than that, you have UKIP, Heritage, Reclaim, uh, the Freedom Alliance, the Re Rejoin EU party, which apparently its candidate will be a Boris Johnson impersonator, which sounds just very uh, FBPE, uh, middle-class uh, Remainer dad sort of joke. Uh, we've got the Monster Raven Looney Party. Uh, one that made me laugh as well was uh, the Party Party, whose candidate is based in Monaco, a yacht dealer who is running on an anti-corruption platform. Uh, just a quick bit of information about some of the main candidates. So the Reform UK candidate, Kirsty Wilms Walmsley, was previously a Shropshire councillor for the Tories. And uh, it was a council led by her father, who also was a Tory. So uh, someone who has switched allegiances recently. The Tory candidate is Dr. Neil Shastri Hurst, who is an honorary N honorary NHS consultant and a former British Medical Army officer uh, who spent time training at the local hospital in the constituency. Lib Dem candidate Helen Morgan is a local businesswoman uh, who previously ran in 2019 and recently she, she's been a bit of bother because she compared the migrants crossing um, or the treatment of the migrants crossing to the Jews in Auschwitz so She's been under fire quite a bit recently. And finally, the Labour candidate, Ben Wood. Uh, he's a local lad as well, grew up in the constituency, worked in a local hardware store. However, uh, there was a bit of controversy because the previous, uh, the, the, the Labour candidate who had ran in the previous two elections was actually blocked from the uh, selection list uh, because uh, in 2020, uh, he shared a post from Jeremy Corbyn uh, telling everyone to, to calm down a bit about the anti-Semitism report, which was released. And uh, the previous candidate claims he, he, he was purged by the Stalinist Selection Committee uh, simply for supporting Corbyn. Uh, Griff... This just sounds uh, really typical of Labour's preparation, preparation for an election, doesn't it? Yeah, I think there always seems to be some kind of controversy, doesn't there? But um, I think one of the most, one of the first things Starmer said when he came in, and one of the most important things was to you know clean the party from anti-Semitism, anti and he said that he'd be judged by his actions and not his words, and. I think, you know, when there is evidence that there is anti-Semitism, then it has to take action. And I think it is the right thing to do, because particularly after the, you know, the report on anti-Semitism within Labour was probably one of the darkest days the party's had. Um, so it's important they are taking steps to, you know, make up for the failings in the past. And I think this is a step in the right direction. Um, yeah. I'd agree on, on that sense, but um, it, it's not the first time there's been a controversial selection policy. Uh, for example, for the Hartlepool election, uh, Paul Williams was selected uh, without having to run on some sort of uh, committee selection list, um, despite the fact that he was arguably not, not the correct candidate for, for a heavy leave voting constituency. Yes, and well, I mentioned that, you know, one of the first promises that Starmer made was um, about cleaning up the anti-Semitism, but I think the philosophy that he's bringing is kind of, 
tunnel vision in terms of just looking for what will help Labour to win and real drive to, yeah, winning as a priority. So I think the leadership have got, you know, the responsibility and they'll, they'll be judged by their decisions, but they need to bring in the candidate they think is going to win. And yeah, if that's a decision, then I think it's good one to take. Quite, quite interestingly, carrying on with this theme of uh, politics is about winning. Uh, recently at the Labour conference, uh, Starmer was put under the spotlight because uh, he wanted to reintroduce the Electoral College uh, for the Labour leadership election, which Ed Miliband had scrapped. Uh, so this would mean that it would no longer be one member, one vote. You would have uh, the members' votes only worth a third of the overall um, votes. MPs would count for a third and unions a third. Um, however, he had to accept a more watered-down version. So in the end, um, he had a proposal accepted by the NEC, which said that candidates would need 20% of MPs backing rather than 10%, which actually means Jeremy Corbyn, for example, would, would never have been able to be um, to have become Labour leader. 50% uh, of local members up from 33% would be needed to trigger a reselection process for an MP, and you'd need to be a member for more than six months in order to vote for leader. Griff, is, is this Starmer trying to win or is this Starmer trying to purge the left of the party? I think it's a case that he's trying to win, um, certainly. And, you know, we lost four general elections in a row. Um, so it is time that the focus has to be on winning rather than faction ba factional battles. So I think it is a step in the right direction so that we can fully focus on you know, to doing what matters, which is to get Labour into power rather than any factional battles. And I know that, yeah, it did cause a lot of tension at conference and it did kind of facilitate, it did maybe pour some petrol on the on the fire to, in terms of the left factional battles. But I think it was good that it was done there. So going forward into the election, it's got, um, yeah, every chance of having them factional battles behind and to be able to focus on do not really matters in getting Labour into government. So do you, do you believe that, um, so previously we, we'd been hearing, for ever since Labour's been out of power, that the, the key ingredient to, uh, to an election success is unity within the party. Do you think that uh, Starmer has uh, abandoned that policy now? And he's, uh, if somebody disagrees with him in a sense he, he's, he's not afraid to get his hands dirty and uh, uh, put them to one side yeah um, to say I don't think party unity is the most important thing for general election victories you know when Tony Blair was going it wasn't a completely united party at that point those people disagreeing I think the most important thing is that you've got a a government in waiting as it were where when you've got sensible people in the right places making the decisions that count and when you've got a course manifest of the good pol policy but when you can be trusted with you know in issues that matter to people the voters because you know the of course it goes without saying the majority of the voting people aren't um labor party members aren't probably even mm. even party members at all so party unity i think is a I guess you wouldn't call it Westminster bubble, but it is a thing that I guess as who are engrossed in politics think a lot of, and it's important to us, but to the general public, I think as long as you think that they look like a government waiting and that the leadership, particularly in the um, front bench, are speaking about issues that matter and they can be trusted with, you know, issues like defence and patriotism, then I think that's what matters more than unity. Uh, what what was that uh, famous Tony Blair quote you were telling me the other day? Uh, you heard in the documentary about winning. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm um, I'm not sure if I have it exactly word for word, but I think on his um, in his final speech to the conference, he said, you know, he made a point that he'd been accused of um, not respecting the party and its traditions and not liking the traditions. That, but then as 
quip was that there was only one tradition that he disliked and that that was losing general elections. <laughs> and I think that's, so, I, you know, whilst I'm not uh, the biggest fan of Tony Blair on, on all policies in all areas, I think it's just refreshing to have that mentality where winning is most important because, you know, a, a glorious defeat counts for nothing if you're not in a mm. position to implement the policies you want to. And I think having Starmer, you know, I think the the contrast between what um, Tony Blair said on that occasion and I think when Corbyn's following a, an election defeat, trying to say, say that, oh, well, we won the argument, you know, I'd rather <laughs> have a um, mentality of Tony Blair where, you know, you'd compromise on some issues to for the greater good rather than to win an argument but then end up having no powers. To me, I think... One thing that I don't will never understand is why that argument even has to be made in a in a party conference because it seems so um, obvious and clear to anyone that you need to be in power to to make what you need to do. I think the problem is, unfortunately, for Labour is that uh, Pandora's box was opened in a sense when uh, Ed Miliband scrapped the Electoral College because it, it's difficult to take away. Uh, democratic powers from a, a membership once you've given it to them. So, to be honest, I, I was quite impressed that uh, Keir was able to, to push this through eventually. But uh, I think, yeah, the Electoral College is something I don't think we'll see uh, come back, even though it, it seems to me quite sensible. Um, but speaking of winning elections, um, one thing which was also raised in the Labour conference was proportional representation. So uh, it seems uh, there, there was a vote and it failed. So the ma majority of Labour Party members who attended the conference, 80% uh, voted in favour, uh, but the uh, party affiliates, who are mostly trade unions, voted 95% against. So. 58% in total voted against proportional representation. Uh, was that a mistake for you, Griff? The, uh, this is a tricky one, because I, I, I think I, I am in favour of proportional representation myself. I think it is, it just seems more democratic to me that, you know, more people get what they voted for and there's more of a representation of the people's views. So in, in that point, I, I think it is a good thing. Um, you know, there's a lot of different interests on it with the uh, party, but yeah, I think you know, in terms of what gets voted on on conference, I'm not sure how much difference that'll really make, you know, that vote, but I, it's something I would like to see. And, you know, you've got certain Labour Party politicians, I believe Andy Burnham's um, came out in support mm. of it. So, yeah, whether that vote was a mistake or not, how much effect that'll actually have, I'm not sure, but yeah, it is something I would like to see. For me, it, it seems like one of those uh, typical things where Labour members vote for it just because it's the right thing to do and uh, they're not thinking about the, the party first, really. So for me, a few things that I'm not a big fan of proportional representation is you, you have a lot of coalition governments, first of all, uh, reduces the ability of parties to deliver on manifesto promises, gives disproportionate weight to, to small parties. Uh, for me, it encourages a more transactional form of politics based on post-election horse trading. Um, and, and one thing is that um, since the war, uh, so, so many believe that, that there would be natural coalitions between Labour, Greens and and the nationalists, um, but actually, uh, since the war, we, we've never seen Labour, Greens, SNP, and Plaid Cymru's vote amount to more than fifty percent. So that's not even certain. And well, one thing that bothers me the most is that on the proportional representation, the the Lib Dems uh, or the Liberals before that would have decided every single election. And if we look at previous history. 2010, uh, it wasn't really a progressive alliance, it was a regressive alliance. No. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think 
the debate about proportional representation, you have to look at where it comes from. I think it is the fact that the political system at the moment, I don't think, doesn't work very well. And I think it does speak of a kind of lethargy or the kind of that people have towards how it's working at the moment and in the results that you get. So uh, whether proportional representation is the answer or not, it's certainly by no means perfect um, for, for reasons you've said, but I just think having more representation um, seems to be a good thing, but I guess the tricky thing for changing the voting system is you would need to have the government kind of legislate for it and by nature of being in government then the first past the post system would have benefited the the, the people who make the decisions when it comes to it so yeah it, it it is a tricky one um on balance i think it's a good idea because there's a form of proportional representation in wales which i think works quite well where you've still got the balance of voting for the constituency as well know so you've got that local um representation but on a wider basis you've also got more regional representation which does give a bit of scope for smaller parties to be able to be heard and to have more of them kind of interests you know particularly the greens represent represented in parliament i think would be a good thing but yeah by no means perfect um but i think it does speak of a kind of disconnect that people feel at the moment with the way politics in general works and whether we vote proportional representation or first past the post it seems that uh, labor seems to be struggling a lot in in england um so in in this by-election from the information and the leaked polls that we've been seeing it looks like labor will be finishing third in a seat that they've always been finishing at least second in apart from a few odd years um ever since brexit really what what labor is struggling with is that the conservatives for the first time have really created what i'd say is an english national party so traditionally the the north and the celtic countries uh seem to align quite a lot and it seems for the first time that uh, the the conservatives are really stepping um on, on Northern Territory and, and creating a, a unified uh, English party. So, Griff, you're, you're part of Welsh Labour and you, you've seen, I think we were all fairly surprised by the uh, local election results earlier this year. What, why do you think that uh, Labour is doing well in Leave constituencies in Wales, but poorly in Leave constituencies in England? Well, on in the last election, I think I, th I think this might, might have been a topic that we discussed in our, our first podcast. Then I think incumbency was a big part. Um, so not that it was that much of a leave remain elections, the kind of local and Senate elections that we had. I don't think Brexit was the biggest factor there. I think it was the fact recognition that Drakeford had led well for most pandemic and people just was reassured by returning the same government in during a national crisis i think certainly in the last election um incumbency was a big factor um but yeah in terms of leave consistencies yeah i think as a general why welsh labour keeps returning governments whilst you know, there's difficulties returning governments on a UK-wide level to um, Westminster. I think the demographics is a big factor. You know, in Wales, you've got, you know, a more working-class demographic that would, you know, their natural home would be Labour rather than Conservatives. Whereas, you know, in the in England, of course, you've got all the home counties that tend to go conservative yeah in terms of why they seem to be doing better in leave constituencies that is a, a good question um which yeah have you got any thoughts on that oh uh, well it, it's 
for me, since the 2019, we've seen a, a bit of a realignment. Um, so it, it was it sort of started to become unnatural for certain people to vote Labour or Conservative uh, because it, it was simple tribalism that they, they had always done, their families had. And it seems we've had some, yeah, realignment in politics where we, we seem to have the Leave voters who uh, are a mixture of uh, like the countryside, middle class countryside, your, your classical hardcore Tory, uh, along with um, the... Um, the working class in industrial areas, uh, whereas on the other side you have more the, the cosmopolitan uh, left and right who seem to come together and, and are voting Labour now. And uh, I think this is, is going to be a problem for Labour in the future because actually we're first past the post. We underestimate the, the geographical advantage that the Tories now have uh with this uh with this new alliance so 61 percent of constituencies voted to leave and uh leave voters tend to be uh sorry uh remain voters tend to be heavily but narrowly concentrated in metropolitan cities and, and uni university towns um so but what what's interesting actually uh, which I wanted to touch upon, uh, which I read today, was that um, so in 2019, uh, the Conservatives won around 76% of Brexit voters. And they, yeah, as I said, they created this almost an English national party of this new alliance, which was about Brexit, strong borders, levelling up. Uh, today, though, um, I think this was... Um, uh, Goodwin, uh, who tweeted this, only 37% of Leave voters now said they're prepared to vote uh, Conservative in the next election. Um, can Labour capitalise on this and how can they do so? Yes, so yes, I, I think that they can because, and I think a real reason why you know, the people that turned Conservative, voted Conservative, was, well, purely for Brexit. And, you know, Boris, who managed to, in my eyes, you know, through complete deception, managed to convince people that he's on their side, that he's a man of the people, that he speaks for them, that he's a person that perhaps people could see themselves having a laugh in the pub with, you know, all that kind of factors that people talk about why um, people turned conservative they could kind of relate to him and the patriotism but I think one reason and the attack line that I think very good for Labour is you know the one rule for them one one rule for us another rule for them um, which is why I think people will hopefully leave the conservatives in their droves when they see that it was all an act you never cared for them at all along really it was all to get into power and then when it comes to you know having party down the street looking after his mates who were making money um, from dodgy contracts and everything it is all about protecting his mates rather than actually working in terms of what's best for the constituents that he's voted for that voted for him and put him into power and you know the whole leveling up has been a failure um there's been no real delivering on that front so I think as people switch on to this then they will leave the Conservatives I think the thing that's worrying perhaps in the polls is that a lot of the pe people who leave the Conservatives do turn to absenteeism rather than to Labour so I th so it's up to Labour now to take the opportunity and I think the mechanisms for us to do that is in place with the new shadow cabinet there um so yeah it will be interesting but i think th there's a real opportunity there where people will start to become disenfranchised with the way the conservative party have been behaving um will hopefully come back to labor uh, we'll touch upon these uh, the sleaze allegations uh, later um but yeah just as you 
touched upon um, the new shadow cabinet. Uh, we'll delve into that a little bit. So as I said, um, and uh, as you said, currently the, there's a lot of um, polling which suggests that Leave voters who, who backed the Conservatives for the first time in 2019 seem to be slipping towards uh, abstaining. But also, uh, Reform UK has doubled its support amongst 2019 Tory voters in the last six months, which is why they did pretty well in Bexley and Sidcup, gaining about 7% of the votes. Um, so this is a big opportunity for Labour to try and a recap for some of the, the voters it lost. Uh, but if, if we look at the reshuffle, so we have Yvette Cooper, who uh, went to Shadow Home Secretary, replacing Thomas Simmons. We have West Streeting, who became Health Secretary, replacing Jonathan Ashworth. Uh, and then at least Lisa Nandi, was, who was very sceptical of a second referendum, who some people have labelled her as a bit of blue Labourite. Uh, she, she was arguably demoted uh, from, from her so foreign secretary role and replaced by David Lammy, who was an ardent second referendum uh, supporter. And the latest Red, Redfield and Wilton poll said that if we were to vote to stay out the EU or rejoin, staying out the EU would win 53 to 47%. So is Labour shooting itself in the foot by selecting... Uh, people's vote uh, supporters. Okay, yeah, um, so, um, no, um, I don't think so. <laughs> I think people would, um, you know, they'd like to paint a reshuffle as being you know, a shift to the left, a shift to the right or whatever. But I think in this case, it's a case where the good communicators from Labour, the ones who Know, go out on the television and really can hold the line well and can really relate to people they're the ones who've been promoted and they're the ones who's it's a it's, to myself it looks like a shadow cabinet that's ready for for government and ready to go out and win an election you've got really good communicators everywhere the people who weren't performing and weren't kind of getting due to the public weren't um have well have been demoted and i actually would argue that I, I wouldn't count Lisa and Andy in that um, kind of demotion category. I think the brief that she's got is levelling up as a shadow to Michael Gove. I think that's going to be a really important brief um, and something that I wouldn't necessarily consider as a demotion. But in most cases, the people who've been demoted um, weren't as effective communicators and the ones who are now have got prominent positions are the real good communicators out there for Labour. But is it going to attract the, the public? Will, uh, will Labour be forgiven for Brexit when they're placing people like David Lammy into the cabinet? Um, no, no, because I think, particularly now, a few years after seeing the Brexit, you know, the get Brexit done that Boris had and everything just hasn't worked. You know, people can see the results are there. But it's not working. So I, what I'd quite like to see is a bit of, you know, bravery on, on the Labour side to kind of not pander as much to the Brexit and kind of apologise for their previous stance, but to be quite honest and explain what this, you know, everyone knows with this, what their stance was, but to try and make it work, you know, make Brexit work. I think that's quite an effective one. Um, so I think... Yeah, we don't have to ask to be forgiven for any previous answers. I think, in hindsight, there were correct answers to, to have. It was just, yeah. Um, so, no, I don't think it will be an issue. And I think the Shadow Cabinet has actually got a bit... There's something for everyone in here as well, whether it's, you know, Lamy, who can speak so passionately and eloquently and really good about... Um, you know, social justice issues, which matter to a lot of people and you know, is, is completely vital. Um, so something there for a big part of the electorate. I was listening to a podcast um, where the presenter spent some time with PwC, like a, you know, a financial 
um, institution, company. Um, and around the table there, everyone was talking about how good a communicator Yvette Cooper is. Um, that was on a, on a New Statesman podcast about the reshuffle, actually. So it's ticking a lot of boxes. A lot of people, I think, will be satisfied. And yeah, I don't think the Brexit issue will be as big. I don't. I think people now, there's much more important things in Brexit to them. Okay, but uh, one uh, I was I was reading a Will Lloyd uh, article from the Unheard, which uh, made me chuckle. Actually, it was uh, sort of mocking the the new Labour sort of uh, global stance. And a nice little quote, which was, uh, if Gordon Brown found his house on fire, he would convene a summit of global thought leaders before he called the local firemen. Uh, seems to me that the problem with Labour for, for quite a long time is this sort of attitude of, um, we're the experts, we know better than you. And when I go around... Uh, I, I've done a lot of political campaigning uh, previously in the Labour Party, but now for the Social Democrat Party. And it's, it's the feeling that a lot of people have is that um, Labour is very much too technocratic. Uh, it's uh, obsessed with uh, committees and experts. Um, and it, 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 people feel like they're not trusted by the Labour Party. And they think, why should they trust them if they don't trust us. Yeah, so I think one thing that I, I don't agree with actually is the whole narrative that, you know, I think Gove peddles it for a bit, that people have had enough of experts. I think over, you know, recent political history, I think experts are there for a reason. You have to, they're experts in their fields. And this whole narrative that, you've got too much experts. I just don't think it's right. I think you've got to have the most informed people there to make the right decisions. Um, but I do get your point, though, um, that it's important to go out there and listen, which I think will be a strength of Keir Starmer. It's been... Because the people who've, who know him all seem to say that he's really bright and communicate quite well. I don't... I think his weakness probably is that he hasn't managed to get that across in the media as much which has been really hard for him um, taking over the Labour Party in a, in a pandemic when everything was online and didn't have the kind of engagements he'd hoped to have had. So it's been really difficult to actually go out to listen to people in the way that they normally would during the pandemic. Um, so no, I, I agree that's going to be something that we will need to do going ahead to make sure that we do engage with people on local levels and get to speak with them. That's been tricky because of social distancing so far. Um, but the whole narrative that people have had enough of experts, I think, look at some of the states that this country's got at the moment. Um, you just, you, you need the experts to, that's why they're there to provide advice on what their experts are in the fields. Well, in, in defence of Michael Gove's comment, I think he, he worded it badly I think what he meant was people are sick of of technocrats um it, it seems as it's the whole narrative of take back control is uh, people um feel as if they, they don't have enough power over their own lives and uh, I think that's what he was trying to put across I think experts was the wrong words but certainly yeah technocrats yeah yeah but then how's that going though so far like how's the whole so he said he's had enough of them but how's it going like all the Brexit stuff because it's not going well so that kind of dismissiveness of it I don't think has served him well because um, well I, th I think there's <laughs> I think there's some sticky points but uh, if you look for example if you if you compare to uh, the performance economic performances compared to the EU we're, we're predicted to have the highest growth, uh, we're having huge investment, whereas uh, austerity is being imposed by the EU Commission on member states. Uh, we, we have a huge increase in the minimum wage, the average wage. Um, you know, there, there's, there's been some difficult points, but uh, as we said, this, these could be simply teething problems and 
Uh, I think also what, what's been a shame for me is that we've a lot of people have gone straight to, to Brexit to, to blame everything. But for example, with the with the uh, the food shortages, I think that was a great time to to say that open a conversation about uh, reducing our um, our food mileage and uh, encouraging more uh, to to buy British produce produce British, but it, it seems to me Brexit is the new scapegoat for everything. Um, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm not convinced. I, I, um, and I, so, you know, one thing this morning about, about tariffs on US goods and from Trump here and what, what they'd get reduced. Well, the, the first calls always go to the European unions, which does leave, you know, British business at a... Um, disadvantage to, to the position they would have been at um but you know i think if we if we start talking about brexit during this podcast then i um, i don't think we'll get um what, what we're planning on discussing done so perhaps leave that for another leave that for another podcast yeah i think that will be uh over a christmas <laughs> pint yeah yeah certainly but uh i think uh, we'll move on to uh what the the people want to listen to, and uh, that's the by-election itself. And uh, probably the most important issue is uh, conservative sleaze. So in the past year, of course, we've had Owen Patterson, uh, which is why we're having this by-election. We've had David Cameron, former prime minister, lobbying the current government uh, over contracts. Uh, we had Matt Hancock giving PPE contracts to his Pub landlord mate. Uh, today it's been announced that the Conservative Party has been fined £17,000 by the Electoral Commission over donations to uh, fund the flat refurbishment. And uh, we've had, I think, about seven different Christmas parties being revealed. Um, is this finally sort of getting through to the public, Griff? I think this is certainly a, a line in the sand. Um, perhaps the Christmas party more so than the Tory sleaze. Um, the, well, more than the, I guess it, it could all be encompassed by the same Tory sleaze. However, if you were to look at the Owen Patton affair, I think before the Christmas party stories came out, I, I think the government was dealing with it. There were initial hits in the polls, but for a while, it seems like there was some recovery. So, um, yeah, it, this will make a difference because particularly the footage of Allegra Stratton laughing and, you know, everyone will remember, everyone will have stories about um, difficult times during last Christmas, whether it was something, you know, perhaps they didn't get to see a family member that you would usually have seen to, you know, some stories where people won't have seen their relatives in hospital when they passed away so we, but everyone have some kind of story of how it was difficult last year and to have that image of people laughing at them um and the, the people who made the rules weren't taking it seriously it does make it that more personal perhaps when you hear about you know government contracts um and sleaze in terms of consultancies that weren't correct and all that kind of stuff it does rile people up but perhaps there isn't that personal connection where they could think mm. okay it's affecting me but when you're being laughed at for sacrifices that you've made personally then I think that will really cut through and I think from conversations I've had with friends and people that aren't usually engaged with politics it really has angered them. Yeah because what, what's uh frustrated me actually is quite often these yeah dodgy contracts they seem to make the news for maybe a day or two and then they're, they're forgotten and and actually I was um it was interesting I was I was reading an article about uh, someone who was uh, going around the North Shropshire uh, constituency and interviewing people and uh, yes there, there were a lot of people who were saying that uh, they were lifelong conservatives and they were they were thinking of switching for the first time after the Christmas party revelations. Um, but there were others who sort of 
shrugged their shoulders and they said, oh, it's just typical uh, of politicians. Um, it seems as if, uh, yeah, as if the, the expectations of our politicians are so low that, that they're not really that uh, disappointed. And, and actually a lot of the responses, uh, well, everybody does it anyway, uh, whether they're conservative or labor. Um, and for example, it can be argued it, it's true. So someone like David Lammy, uh, he's been earning over uh, 145,000 pounds per year from a consultant job with Google and Facebook. And uh, Keir Starmer earned around 25,000 from legal consulting fees, despite pledging to end MP second job. So I don't know. It's, it. That, for some, it has cut through, but for some in the, the constituency that they're sort of using the line that uh, everybody does it, so it, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, well, um, about to, to be honest, I actually hadn't heard about David Lammy's consultancy. I, I knew there used to cost earning money off shows in LBC, which is different, but I, I you know, I'll, I'll take your word on it. They just got that consultancy with Google and, you know, Starmer with, I think it was Mishcon, he, he had a consultancy, but... Um, the, in in both them occasions, you know, there's no suggestion that they would have worked outside the rules. So, I, whilst you know, it, the past wasn't the right thing, then it was within the rules, which is what was important at that time. And I think what leadership is about is kind of, um, you know, um, what Stan has said is, you know, he's come out come out against it when he's been faced with a problem. Put his neck in the line and said, Oh, well, we we put an end to consultancies. It's about how you react to that kind of story and that mm. leadership you put in place rather than what the Tories tried to do was trying to rewrite the rule books about it. And um, so, yeah, you know, it's when you've got 600 MPs, there's always going to be um, problems on both sides. But I think it's that leadership stance that you take and how you try to tackle the issues that's important. Whereas you add, Starmer come out with a clear um, improvement, trying to say, okay, we'll end consultancies. Clearly, this is something that the public wants resolved. So it comes up with policy, whereas on the other hand, you've got Boris Johnson who tries to just rewrite the rule book completely. So I think, yes, it's, it's an area where a lot of politicians would take a look at themselves and think, oh, am I doing the right thing? But then after that look, you've got one who's come out with a clear policy to improve or as the other one just you know quite predictably um carries on down the same path one thing i did like about this research though however was uh, that whilst a lot of people had a very low estimate of politicians uh, people regarded their local mp quite highly so actually this uh, cut through a lot of people um because uh, a lot of people thought that uh, the people they were interviewed for Owen Patterson was a was a man of high integrity, so they they were bitterly disappointed. And I think that does show that people do have a, a strong regard for uh, integrity of public office um, because it's it's their local representative. It, it says a lot. Maybe it doesn't say a lot, but it, it you voted for him. They are the representative of your constituency. It should be proud work. Yes, not exactly. And um, from the latest PMQ's session, then I think one of the points that I felt was really good and, and important and really struck a chord was you know, about having the moral um, authority to lead and go, that's not something you can just, that's something that's earned rather than placed on you for by nature of being in a position of leadership. and. Yeah, so that's something that I think is really important. I think will be the downfall of a lot of, well, you know, an, any MP who hasn't got it, but particularly seeing the Conservative Party, the Conservative government at the moment, then, whereas it has been going well for them in terms of Brexit, when they haven't got that moral authority behind them, when people when stuff does start to go wrong then you know it's all built on sand and it'll as soon as 
you know, difficult times like now comes, then their authority is built on sand rather than any real moral authority, which is how it should be um, in the highest office of state. Well, yeah, I certainly will no longer be uh, complying with these uh, restrictions. I'll be having a beer and uh, Christmas dinner with uh, a lot of friends and family over and uh, I'll be enjoying it. Um, but uh, the, there's a vote coming up uh, to introduce uh, Plan B, uh, COVID Plan B, which would involve uh, vaccine passports. Uh, very controversial. Uh, I think most people in the magazine know my opinions on it. Um, so we, we have around 100 Conservatives who are ready to rebel. And uh, it seems Keir Starmer is going to support the measures. Is, is this not a huge opportunity missed for him to uh, take down the, the government? Yeah, well, um, there's an interest in, on it, this exact um, topic, actually. Um, Wes Streeting, the new shadow health secretary, is being challenged on, on this exact question on, on um, Radio 4 today, this morning. And yes, of course, it's tempting to score a defeat over the government, I'm sure, and particularly in the state they're in, then it, it would be a hammer blow. However, the whole philosophy and doing what's right would would be putting the health of the nation first and it's the way that i guess stammer and streeting and myself would look at it would be it's not the it's not the prime minister's advice that you need to trust because certainly i wouldn't trust any advice that boris gives but it's the advice of the chief medical officer of the um, chief scientist, um, one of the, you know, one of the other prominent civil servants in the science science field as well, have all come through with this advice, which say that it's vital for the public health. So it's there's put Starmer in a very tricky position where he would then be going against the scientific opinion of what what makes sense for the UK's public health, and you know when you've got the leader of the opposition voting against something in the public health interest of the whole country, then I, I don't think he can really do that. So I, I can see why he's gone for it. Um, and yeah, it, it, it does make sense. But we're sick and tired of experts. That's the thing, yeah. And, well, uh... I'm not. <laughs> But uh, only, it seemed like only a couple of months ago that uh, Starmer was declaring vaccine passports un-British. So it seems like uh, it was a disappointing U-turn for me. Yeah, you know, and I'm sure you know they might be un-British. And I'm, it, it's the thing to remember is, you know, of course, no one wants to be in this situation. It's no, no one likes having vaccine passports. And, you know, if it weren't for COVID, then, of course, he wouldn't be um, having any kind of that, them kind of policies. If it's just what's necessary at the time and the unpopular policies, of course, they are. Um, no, one, no one wants to put them in place, but it's what's right for the national interest at that time, I guess, isn't it? Well, that's a whole debate in itself, which uh, we won't go too deeply into. Uh, I've written, uh, I think I've written enough about those passports, in my opinion, for people to know. Um, but another, yeah. Uh, but another uh, topic recently has been uh, the uh, channel crossings. Um, so interestingly, uh, from February until the end of this year, uh, immigration and asylum has become the most important issue from 15 to 35%. And 71% of the public believe government is now handling immigration badly. Um, and over 50% of Brits now believe that immigration numbers are, are too high. Um, uh, however, around 45% are in favour of issuing emergency migrant visas for job shortages opposed to 28%, but most importantly, 56% uh, compared to 19% opposed the migrant channel crossing. Um, with a subject like immigration becoming the most important issue in the country now, 
are Labour at a disadvantage uh, thinking about their normally open border policy? Um, no, I, I, I don't think Labour's at a disadvantage um, because, and, you know, this is a you know, very emotive subject and, yeah, I think what what people want, and you know, I, I haven't got the answers, of course, um, it's a <laughs> complex one as well, but I think what people do want is, you know, they've seen the footage and all decent people, you know, got heart goes out to them and you know to, to for people who put themselves in that kind of situation then it's so desperate and what people want is to have the debate conducted in a kind of compassionate way um and you know the tough decisions will need to be made on it but uh, and i think the rhetoric that comes out of particularly the home office at the moment about it isn't particularly I don't think it's that good um, in previous answers that Priti Patel has taken. So I think it would actually be quite refreshing to have a more compassionate touch on it, um, which is kind of missing from a lot of the messages coming out of government at the moment. So I think that's what a lot of people want at the moment rather than a kind of some of the rest of that we're seeing at the moment. I, know, I think most people are rather sympathetic to their cause but uh, I think people are also concerned about the, the illegal manner of, and the, the the rising numbers each day and it's not only um, it's not only refugees arriving we, we have a lot of a huge increase in human trafficking and I think people find it very illogical for labor to who want to introduce safe passages uh, and sort of leave an open door to, to more human trafficking. I think that's the, the main concern with Labour's policy. Yeah, well, um, in terms of the, I haven't studied the policy in detail to, to be able to provide with a, a detailed analysis, I'm afraid, and I, you know, I wouldn't want to speak on something that I'm not particularly confident on. However, of course, the the traffickers need to be um, punished as really severely because you know that people who put themselves put the other people in danger. Then you know they're the ones who need to be punished. So I think it is important that you know if the, if the safe passages can provide a way for people to come around safely, and for people who are, are refugees to you know do what's illegal right and, and come in, then great. Um, anything, anything that reduces the influence of the traffickers would be positive. So I'm afraid, you know, I haven't got the answers and what's right on this <laughs> one. I just think it's, um, yeah, a complex issue that does need to be treated as such and with a bit of compassion. Good, good. Um, so just a, a final point on this by-election, uh, which was raised. Uh, so as I said before, there was talk about having a joint candidate between three main opposition parties uh, as a sort of, yeah, anti-sleaze candidate, which has raised questions, would uh, Labour and the other opposition parties benefit from a sort of progressive alliance, which would mean uh, other parties withdrawing their candidates in seats where they're not likely to win? So recently there was an electoral calculus which suggested that there would be some sort of benefit so the conservatives would lose 58 seats labor would gain 36 smp would stay the same lib dems would gain 14 and the greens eight is this is this the answer grit to removing the tory it is something i would like to see yes i think whilst you do want to see Labour compete every seat. It just makes sense to have people more aligned with their values in and then to have a coalition because the way that Scotland looks at the moment and uh, it, you know, a, a straight-out Labour majority looks very unlikely. So we do need to look at how you can work. And, you know, if you've got your, you know... Um, if you're up against the cliff, you need to have people to who you can work with to get out of that situation, then, yeah, I think it does make sense to work together. Um, so it is something I'd like to see, yes.
One thing I think people underestimate, though, is the the volatility of, of the Lib Dems, though. Um, so, for example, uh, 50%, uh, 56% of those who voted for progressive parties, uh, only 45% had an unfavourable view of the Conservative Party. So if you presented them with a single candidate, would that necessarily attract them to vote for them is, is a big question. And one other thing yeah. is that in mayoral and police and crime commissioner votes, we have second preference voting. And uh, this has painted uh, quite an interesting picture uh, where 45% uh, of, in, in Durham, for example, 45% of Lib Dems went Conservative second choice. In Humberside, 45% uh, um, again, Lib Dems went Conservative second choice. Uh, and then in Nottinghamshire, where 81% of Lib Dems backed either the Conservatives or Labour, 38%. Uh, also went for the Tory second second choice. So I don't know. I I, I yeah, don't know if yeah, it's as clear cut as we think. I think it will be more so with particularly this government at the moment, the way it's going with Boris. I think um, if you put Sunak in charge, and I to be honest, I think it, I, I would be surprised if Boris is still lead the Conservatives when it comes to next election. Um, then, yeah, it might not be as clear cut then, to be honest. Um, but as it is now, then I've got no doubt that it would benefit to have that kind of alliance. Uh, well, one thing, though, I, I feel as if uh, people prefer choice. And I think people... If, if you reduce their choice, may not go out to vote and, and abstain. And uh, it could be a, a greater democratic deficit than actually going out and voting for a progressive alliance. Yeah, yeah, no, that's valid. Um, you know, the principle of choice, it, I completely agree with and you should be able to vote for the party which represents your interests most accurately i just think that the route that the path that the conservative party is taking the country down at the moment does justify a bit more of a targeted approach to and to prioritize replacing them rather than just in getting them out of power rather than actually a specific um, aim of getting, you know, a Labour majority or a Lib Dem, you know, a government or, or whatever. I just think it does need to have a bit of innovation um, at the moment. And I think that would be an appropriate way to do it. Okay. Uh, so we're going to finish with a few predictions for this by-election. So... Uh, the Lib Dems, as usual, they, they love their internal polling. And uh, this was before the Christmas party scandal. So they had the Conservatives leading by just nine points, 47.7% for the Tories, 37.8% for the Lib Dems, and Labour on 10.5%. Um, so the, the Lib Dems are actually in a bit of trouble because they leak these polls. Uh, or allegedly leak these polls uh, to the media to encourage Labour and Green to vote voters to switch. Uh, another interesting development is that uh, two Conservative councillors in North Shropshire actually defected to both Reform and Reclaim. So this is uh, Lawrence Fox's party actually has their first uh, representative. Um, yeah. Uh, just before the election, this by-election. And if we look at the SIDCUP uh, by-election result, although it was a fairly comfortable Conservative lead, um, I think if you looked, uh, the reform vote eight into the Conservative vote a bit, you have disillusion. Uh, 2019 Conservative voters who seem to be switching to reform and uh, in that election, we, we, we did see some sort of 
progressive alliance, maybe not on paper, but uh, Lib Dem certainly lent their vote to Labour. And if, the, if that happens again, Labour lending votes to Lib Dems before meeting into Conservatives, then the Conservatives certainly are in trouble. And um, I think this Christmas party scandal has, has really swung the, the, this election into the Lib Dems' favour. So uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, back the Lib Dems to take the seat. Um, and uh, also interesting, I, I think uh, there will be a lot of lifelong Conservatives who, who won't want to switch parties. So I think there will be uh, larger absences. So I think turnout between 40 and 50% at three to one is pretty good. Uh, money to get on. Uh, I think in the last election it was 68% turnout. Uh, I think we'll see a large conservative absence in this election. Uh, so yeah, that's my two pence thrown in and that is the end of the show. I'd like to thank my guest uh, Griff Parry once again. Thanks Jules, always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, uh, I think in the latest polls now, Labour have a five-point lead. Um, we'll be having the uh, the parliamentary vote on the COVID Plan B. Uh, so uh, a lot of things to uh, look ahead to, whether they are positive or not. So uh, thanks, everyone, and uh, we'll see each other. Oh. I don't even know when, but uh, when there's a decent election coming up. So uh, thanks and uh, see you all soon. Bye bye.